0: I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty buzzed for this one, not going to lie. Had to take the edge off. The edge off from what? This is the miniseries finale. This is like our bee Super Bowl. Come on. You don't need to take it that seriously. Someone has to.
1: They don't, though. They really don't.
0: Well, I am. And today we're talking about the controversial concept of natural beekeeping. Now, I didn't invent the term natural beekeeping. Unfortunately, I don't really like it, but it exists. It's what people know. And the reason we had waited till the last episode to talk about this is because now that we have discussed all these different aspects of beekeeping, the hives, the workers, the queens, the drones, even the the varroa mites, we can start to put it all together and apply some, some critical thinking to beekeeping.
1: Okay, so here's my first silly question of the episode. Is this different than artificial beekeeping or what? Like, what are we talking about?
0: Okay, so if you've ever taken like a beekeeping course with like your local beekeepers association, you've probably noticed that despite the fact that they cover a ton of stuff, there probably wasn't as much overlap with what we've talked about as you might have expected. And that's because they've taught beekeeping and bee health from the perspective of how to keep that colony, the one you're getting for the first time, alive and healthy as long as possible. And there's a very large difference between doing that and doing what's best
1: for the species. So short-term gain, long-term loss. Yeah, we've deviated
0: pretty far from how bees were managed only like a generation or two ago because the accessibility of chemical applications, the introduction of varroa mites, and while we could discuss the benefits of modern chemical treatments, there are still high overwintering losses because the treatments aren't for keeping the bees alive, they're for increasing honey production. Now, we haven't talked about foul brood or feeding, although we will a little bit today. The whole point here is that things have been basically getting worse for the hives themselves as a whole for decades. And chemicals, in my opinion, are not the solution. They're a band-aid at best or something that can be supplemental.
1: And I still have nightmares about the bees leaving us, and I'd like to thank Black Mirror for haunting me about that, because they got an awesome episode. Season three, episode six, you'll watch that shit. It's awesome.
0: I watched like three episodes, and I was like, this is weird. Not the weird I like, just weird. So I didn't keep watching it. But maybe I'll find that one. So uh, let's talk about treatment-free beekeeping. Some folks, like I said before, uh, prefer the term natural beekeeping, and- um. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan.
1: I mean, but that's what it says in our notes. I mean, yeah,
0: it, it's a shorter title for a doc file. But in practice, it's not really accurate because natural is such like a loaded term. And uh, I think it can sound super crunchy, which is like fine, I guess. But we're not really ignoring science in favor of what nature does. But instead, looking at the longer term viability of beekeeping, which I don't think really gets enough respect. Part of this is because treatment-free is conflated with disease, and disease travels throughout beehives in an area fairly easily. So it's not really um, acceptable for you to call yourself like a natural beekeeper, although treatment-free isn't really going to earn you a lot of points with your uh,
1: local beekeepers association. Yeah, so heavy lies that crown when you're the king bee.
0: Yeah, something, something like that. So there are two major areas that differ between modern and uh, treatment-free methods. The first is obvious, not treating bees for disease. This also means using hives that reduce the risk of needing treatment, and we covered a little bit of that with the uh, Top Bar and Langstroth episodes. But as we said, there are folks with success using a diversity of hives. The second area is around feeding bees. Modern beekeeping starts the season with uh, a boatload of bee sugar.
1: Okay, bee sugar. And that, is that honey? That's not honey? So it's really just
0: basically a simple syrup with white sugar. The idea is to provide bees with food when their honey stores are low, particularly in new colonies. They don't have any honey stores, right? A typical hive will go through like 40 pounds or so of bee sugar in the spring to build out the comb and to get calories, which is particularly important with especially like a new hive that arrives in cool climates where they're not native to the region.
1: So, I can see why that's useful. I mean, it's easy food that's kind of cheap for people to make. It is, but like anything, how healthy do you think
0: like only eating processed sugar is going to be?
1: I'm guessing not super healthy and probably leads to diabetes, and I hate myself.
0: Yeah, that was subtle. I like it.
1: I, I know you're there. I'm learning, I'm learning to love the hate, though.
0: Yeah, you got to love the hate, or you hate the love, and that's totally different and not good. So... Basically, feeding only honey or just taking less honey from a hive is um, really a better solution, right? I think it sounds a lot more logical, right? Giving them honey because they make honey. Therefore, the honey that we think is so healthy for us is probably also healthy for them since they made it for themselves. But this does get a little bit complicated if we don't plan accordingly. So like, let's let's start with like the wintertime, right? So while people assume bees hibernate, they don't actually hibernate. The core of the hive has to stay at at least 68 degrees and really closer to 95 in early spring when the first brood of the year begin to appear. Bees obtain the energy needed for heat by consuming the honey located directly above the cluster. In the process, because they're constantly going up to grab this honey, the cluster moves gradually upward at a rate of approximately 1 millimeter every 24 hours.
1: Oh yeah, and that sounds familiar. Um, that's one of the challenges with the Langstroth hives that we talked about in our earlier episode. The frames aren't super deep and it can make this feeding more difficult.
0: Exactly. So the bees are unable to use the honey stored in the outer combs. It's only of use in the spring when the weather outside grows warm and the cluster can break up. As beekeepers, then if we have bees that have been in our climate for some time, they've adapted to the temperatures and know how much to store. We don't need to do anything, but give them the room to do that. That means we can take the honey stored in the side on the top bar hive, confidently knowing the bees should be alright.
1: While well, with the Langstroth, we're playing sort of a guessing game and have to sort of fingers on the buzzer, pull it when it's ready.
0: Yeah, and it's not it's not this cut and dry, of course, but you know we have to remember bees are living things and they like very often will do things that we don't expect. What is pretty cool, though, is that this, the 10-inch cluster that is where the bees, like, congregate in the hive, it manages to, like, maneuver around all of the frames within the hive while maintaining that shape to keep the heat. In terms of, like, how much honey you should be thinking about as this hive is moving up, a typical hive in, like, a cold climate, it'll usually consume around 30 pounds, leaving 20 pounds in reserves, uh, without which the bees can get kind of anxious.
1: Yeah, anxious bees, for for some reason, it just sounds terrifying to me. Yeah, I mean, it
0: should sound terrifying for a number of reasons. They can't afford that kind of therapy. 60,000 bees? Like, that's just unacceptable.
1: <laughs> you. Oh, you.
0: Me? Oh, me. Yeah, they're going to have to see TikTok therapy if they want get, to get this shit fixed, because we don't have the resources. Sorry, everyone. We Wait, don't. do they have that? Bee therapy? TikTok therapy? Aroma bee therapy? It sounds so cheap. It might be a thing. I don't
1: and, know. It, like, really accessible.
0: If it doesn't, it will exist. We all know it will exist. Everything will be done through TikTok. Imagine 911 TikTok. It should be awful. You got to do some like weird kid dance to get the ambulance to show up. I'm so dead. I'm so dead. <laughs> so anyways, one of the things about honey is like we think of it as like you, you get honey or you get like a certain flower blossom honey, right? And it's like, a you know, it's got a certain flavor because of when the time of year was collected, right? But... The thing about honey is it's not just like flavored in that way. Honey has different qualities depending on the time of year when it's harvested. So like honey gathered during the main honey flow, typically in June or July, is best suited for use during wintering. Now, during the dearth period, which is considered like late summer when the flowers are starting to die off, there's not as many options for pollen. Bees will make honeydew honey that could basically lead to their deaths during winter.
1: So we're not talking honeydew like the melon. And we're not talking about, like, morning dew off the grass. What, what is it? Am I close? Yeah,
0: it, it's neither of those. Um, okay, okay, good for me. So, honeydew honey is basically like an emergency pollen alternative. Flom sap-feeding insects excrete honeydew, the key component of honeydew honey.
1: So, are these bees milking other bugs is what you're telling me?
0: Well, no. The, the honeydew is basically like the sugar-filled poop of other bugs.
1: So, recycling. I can respect that.
0: Yeah, poop recycling. It's not the first time we've covered it. No, it's not. So, here's the thing. If the sap of the host trees has a certain makeup, the honey-making process produces what are called oligosaccharides, such as amelizatose. Amelizatose Amelizatose-rich honeydew honey is a major issue for beekeepers. It crystallizes and it can be poisonous for bees.
1: All right. So, no crunchy honey for our buddies. I got that. crystallizes. It's no good. When we talk about honeybees versus native pollinators, it didn't sound like access to food was really the problem, but there's this dearth period where it is. Do other pollinators not use honey poo or honeydew?
0: Honey do? Well, honeydew is predominantly used by mosquitoes, wasps, and some stingless honeybees. For example, there's only been a handful of documented examples of bumblebees harvesting honeydew, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence at this point that there's been any negative impacts from honeybees during the dearth season. Anyways, the point is that our bees ready their winter reserves ahead of time at the peak of summer, a fact that's exploited by industrial beekeepers as they add and later remove a super. During the winter, the bees are unable to chew a hole through the comb, move honey, or seal any gaps that appear with propolis because of this late season movement. All of these things have to be done ahead of time.
1: Okay. So based on what we've talked about already, I'm guessing that's a problem. If you're just going to toss a super on top of a Langstroth hive, for instance, and at the same time also take away the best honey.
0: Exactly. Honeybees that haven't been bred and have some resiliency have shown some of their ancestral knowledge around this, with a tendency to store reserves in the upper portion of its nest combs first, and only when sufficient reserves have been set aside for winter that it does move on to fill the combs directly to the immediate right and left of the nest, and then those farther away. Unsurprisingly, the farther south the bee originates, the less pronounced this instinct is.
1: Sounds to me like this all boils down to allowing bees to rewild and learn their local environment as much as possible.
0: Yeah, it's that complex systems, baby. The pieces know what they want and how to do it best.
1: I feel like we've covered a ton and also nothing yet about treatment-free beekeeping.
0: Yeah, and you know, I feel that way whenever I'm talking about it because beekeeping has become this like really tedious process of steps versus like the systems thinking that we talk about a lot on here. And uh, it's probably time for us to take a, a quick break. So listen to our wonderful sponsors who are probably just us. Hey, we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can get a whole lot more information from PoorProls.com. On our website, we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast, which provides more depth and context as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases, such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Pools website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorproles.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up season one, or tune into the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now, back to the show.
1: And we're back. You know, we've done a lot of episodes on bees, and I think I'm burnt out of bee jokes. And I didn't think it could happen, but here we are. I hear you, buddy.
0: At this point we're just all beesness.
1: And we're back. Nice.
0: Okay, so we talked about the bees knowing best, and um we mentioned that, you know, we we see some of this still exist, like kind of in the the back burner, especially with hives that are are still trying to live similarly to how they have ancestrally, right? So, like, northern bees tend to still have some of these habits that we think of as really good, right? Despite the fact that we get most of our bees from the south because they've started building up and then they ship them north because they already have, like, they're already laying their brood and all that good stuff. So, they can ship those out. So, we don't actually keep our good bees or we don't keep bees in the north that are growing for the north, right? Now, That raises a really interesting question of like how local of a bee can you really work with? Now, this is really difficult here in the US because the last time we had a native honeybee was like 14 million years ago, according to evidence in Nevada. That honeybee that was here 14 million years ago didn't look too much like the options we have today. And your best bet, if you can get your hands on one, would be to collect a bunch of swarms and hopefully some of them are from a few generations around in your area. So swarm catching seems like Kind of a fun, badass, early summer, like, hustle. Yeah, honestly, swarms are way easier to work with than bees in, like, a hive. Swarms really have nothing to protect, so they're basically, like, cool with whatever, within reason. I I wish we had time to have done a swarm episode, but the series has already been, in my opinion, pretty long. And um, we're not just a bee podcast, so, you know, maybe someday. Just not right now. The point is, obviously, if bees swarmed, they'd be in the area for a bit, hopefully a few years at least, and they're strong enough to have swarmed. So uh, with a little bit of luck, they'd be a really good upgrade to like a traditional bee package from Georgia or wherever. And uh, really, once you've gotten settled into beekeeping, you should only be expanding your hives through these swarms, which you can force through smart beekeeping.
1: Yeah, breeding on demand. You gotta love it.
0: Yeah, and it's really simple. Like, you know the the core idea of treatment free or natural beekeeping is really simple like you don't bother the bees unless it's absolutely necessary so for me I do two major annual inspections the spring and the fall uh, where I actually get inside the hive and look at the comb and so on I try not even to do much of that I don't try to bother them I don't want to move them I don't treat them um, I've played with treatments for a number of years I got frustrated at it was terrible. I was always paranoid about chemical residues. The bees were never happy when you would, like put the treatments in, and it was just it was a lot. It was a lot of money. So um, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have bees, I want to catch a swarm, which is free, and I don't care as much. So I'm not as invested in it in terms of like financially, especially because you're not putting treatments in as well, which are not cheap. And if a colony dies, that's the way it goes, and that's the way it should. And that's why it's really important that like you let that natural process happen because survival of the fittest is a thing. And uh, that's really easier to uh, of a pill to swallow when you're talking about a free swarm versus like a package, right?
1: Yeah, I see what you did there. Driving that bee pun like a hot spike right between my eyes. I appreciate it. It's Just for you, buddy. So I'm guessing with all of this, the next generations from the hives that survive will end up stronger. But is this like a pretty quick thing? Is it? Is it a couple years or is it a year? How does that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, there's a few ways to do it and there's been some evidence on successes and um, those are really unique, uh, very unique conditions. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So we did an interview with Dr. Keefus uh, and we talked about this concept of bond testing and soft bomb testing, which are basically ways to either squeeze the bees by forcing them to survive in uh, tough conditions, or by trying to reduce chemical applications or removing feeding or something basically with the goal of creating some kind of evolutionary bottleneck through a shorter period.
1: Probably for people with only a few hives to do the soft bond. So they don't lose all of their bees. They'll probably at least keep some though, right?
0: Exactly. So with that soft bond, they're not pushing them as hard. They're not just saying, Whoever survives, I'm not doing anything to help you. It's like, you know, taking out a couple of those pieces at a time. Now once warm weather sets in and uh, a steady spring flow of pollen is underway, that's when it's time to really start that spring inspection. So upon that inspection, you'll notice that um, some of the frames will contain the brood, some of it's open, some of it's sealed. This is basically the nest portion of the hive, which should be put back in place in the same order once the inspection is finished. I know a lot of people are aware of that. That's very common knowledge, Uh, nothing unique here at all. Now the remaining frames will either be completely empty or will contain a certain amount of like bee bread and honey. Now after this, the only time to go back into the hive is for quick checks to see if they need more frames. If you're working in a top bar system or if you're using Langstroth to put another uh, super on top or medium, whatever it might be. Now, at this point, it's April, and I basically won't go back into the hive other than those little checks to add frames uh, until like September.
1: Holy shit. So that Green Day song actually is decent beekeeping instructions. You know, the wake me up when September ends bit. It's a bit now.
0: Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. They're big beekeepers. You didn't know that, did you? It's, I'm surprised they don't call themselves like Yellow Day, Hive Day, Beam Day. I just need you to hang that up. Okay. Basically, if they're on the second to last frame moving away from the entrance in a top bar, it's time to add more frames to a top bar hive. If they're on the second to last frame in a Langstroth, it's time to add that super or medium.
1: But what about honey harvesting?
0: A lot of beekeepers do a summer like we just talked about, and we talked about why that's a problem. Sometimes they'll even do a second summer harvest. For those reasons I just discussed, I don't, and I'll harvest at the same time as the fall inspection.
1: So you basically don't do anything? I mean, yeah.
0: But like, also no. But it
1: doesn't sound like you're doing anything.
0: Honestly, the simplicity of it is like a really hard restraint. Because like seasoned beekeepers were like, these are the things you're supposed to be doing every week. These are the chemical treatments you're doing. How are you checking for all these diseases? All, all these steps that you're supposed to be doing that you have to relearn not to do. So like, what are we doing by not doing, Right. So what, are we, what, what benefits are we creating? So we stop disease because we don't move the brood around, we're leaving them alone. By not opening our hives as often as traditional beekeepers do, we're not risking uh, weakening those hives. We're not risking weakening them by having it open, allowing other bugs to get in, other bees to get in, them having to fix anything from me opening it, keeping the temperature, all these things that affect, are affected by me going in to do that inspection we can also do simple things like keeping hives farther away from each other than the like standard suggestion which is like fairly close because bees will go into the wrong hive sometimes just like making these simple non things not things we're not doing actually is doing things like it's like that negative effect right
1: okay so let me paraphrase it's less about doing the right thing And more about not doing the wrong thing. So you're trying to avoid being like a helicopter bee parent.
0: Yeah, and I mean, all the bees really wanted to do was fly. Just not as helicopters, I guess.
1: Yeah, and this metaphor isn't really working out like I thought it would, but it made sense in my head.
0: No, no, I I can save it. So
1: helicopters need gas, right? And for bees, that gas is... Let's just let it crash, dude. This black cock's down. Don't try to save it. They did try to save it, though. They went in there and saved the fuck out of it. Yeah,
0: they they did. Now, you know who wouldn't have let Black Hawk down?
1: Don't. Too late. (sighs) Raytheon. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Do you like having a garden? Yeah. Do you not like getting dirty? Yeah. Great. Neither do we. Introducing Do Nothing Landscaping. This sounds like just what I'm looking for. Can you take care of my pesky lawn? Of course. Our lawn care package includes not mowing your lawn and not pulling weeds. Do you seed and fertilize too? Nope. Spray Roundup? Absolutely not. So what do you do? Fuck all. We do absolutely nothing. Wow, I'm convinced. How do I get started? Pay us a $50 monthly subscription fee and we'll not mow your lawn, we'll not rake up leaves, and if you sign up today, you'll be enrolled in our Super VIP Privacy Program. That means you'll never fucking see us ever again. So stop doing something and start doing nothing today. Every fucking time, man. I never want to hear the word drone ever again after this series.
0: You never hear them. You only feel them. Jesus Christ, that's so scary. But to focus on the apis variety of drones. All right, finally, back to bees. We mentioned the importance of preparing our bees by having the appropriate amount of honey stores for them, even if that means less for us. This is the opposite of modern beekeeping. Supplemental bee water, which is just basically simple syrup, sometimes with other amendments added, has been the core component of bee diets to prepare them for the spring and to help them survive the winter by giving them those cheap carbohydrates.
1: I mean, we do it to people. Why not our livestock? Right? They're no better than us.
0: But much like us, That's not really enough. But the funny thing is, as I was just thinking about what I just read about the honey stores for bees, I remember a long time ago when I got into beekeeping having this conversation with someone about leaving. I was like, why can't you just leave the honey in the hive and just harvest like what's left in the spring? And their argument was like, I've done that and it was because the honey crystallizes and will kill them. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because then how do they have honey to survive the winter? Like, what's the point if it all crystallizes? And it's because they, they were doing that summer harvest and it was all that honeydew honey that was left over. They were leaving the wrong honey on. So, like, I think that's, like, one of those, like, old wives' tales that's in beekeeping, that sometimes if you leave too much honey, it'll, like, crystallize or something. But, yeah, it just dawned on me as I was talking that, like, that's what that conversation was about, like, six years ago. It quick. It clicked. I like it. It Took six years and I knew the answer, but I just like put those things together. But yeah, like the point here is that like with this honey situation, right? Honey is more than just sugar and water, right? That's why we like it. It's good for us. It has all these vitamins and micronutrients. And even like in honey's case, it contains traces of pollen. Now, one principle common to all living things is that an organism is weakened by a shortage of necessary substances and is most likely to be targeted by a pathogenic microorganisms and parasites. And um, if we don't give our bees a diverse diet, they're going to inevitably fail to these
1: things, right? I mean, it sounds like we've given bees industrialism without any of the benefits. We really are the worst. I don't know why I'm saying we, it's your goddamn people. Fair. I don't do beekeeping.
0: Fair, so at this point we've ta- I thought you were going with white people, but yeah, I mean, I guess most beekeepers are pretty white.
1: I'm not touching that one. I don't. <laughs> I don't know enough. I don't know enough. It, so it, it's gu- pretty. Nerdy. I don't know enough, so I'm just gonna not say anything. It's I'm like learning
0: weird, gangly white dudes. Like ninety percent of it.
1: It is kind of true. Every time I think of a beekeeper, I do think of long white dudes. I don't know why.
0: Long white dudes. Long
1: white. Long 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 John silver. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
0: White dudes with three said, first names. I said I
1: didn't know enough to, to say anything, and here I am just running my mouth.
0: There you are. Like a, like a white man running his mouth about something he doesn't know.
1: I'm getting worse as I get older.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so we, at this point, we've talked about like not using bee sugar, minimal hive visits, no chemicals, leaving extra honey in the hives, using deeper hives if it makes more sense in your climate we talked to quickly about the spring checkup it's honestly like half the work just making sure the brood nest is dry removing surplus frames that have been emptied during the winter if you're using a top bar hive now during the late spring and early summer we start to add the foundation for the bees to start working on this is where we see a big difference between langstroth and top bar hive since with langstroth we can add that one that one medium at a time whereas the top bars we can add frames as they're needed which allows the hive in my opinion, a better, more gradual growth without too much space to protect too quickly. But
1: that's a personal preference. So late spring, early summer. And for us, that's like June-ish, I guess. I really don't know. The climate, climate has been changing. It's been changing.
0: It's, it's been changing. Yeah, for now, I guess that's what you, you might want to call it. What I'm trying to do more of, what well, we talked about a lot in the proles model series, is instead focusing more on when plants bloom to know when they're busiest.
1: And it does make a lot more sense, I, I think.
0: Yeah. In the old days, beekeepers considered the like start of the primary willow blossoming and the uh, oaks leafing out as being the um, the time to do it, along with the blooming of the gooseberry and, of course, the linden tree.
1: I'm pretty sure most people, and I, I guess I should speak for myself, couldn't ID most of those trees during bloom? So that seems like a long ways from where we are today.
0: Yeah. I mean, even as somebody that's into plants, I don't, I wouldn't feel super confident in identifying a lot of, you know, budding out trees. To um, pair with our spring checkup, we also have our uh, fall checkup, right? We generally don't want to go into the hive until the daytime temperature no longer rises above 54 degrees if you live somewhere that it drops that low. Now, that might seem like the opposite of what you'd want to do because it's starting to get colder, but it actually makes a lot of sense and it's a really simple logic. That's when the bees begin to form a winter cluster. So they stay completely out of the mediums in a Langstroth or the side frames in a top bar. So is that like a bee hack? Yes, a bee hack. Hack those bees. Not the robotic bees. I'm sure we'd get sued for that. Like I said before, I don't really like to use a smoker if I don't have to, and like, why not? Uh, you can be smarter about it. Now, if there's clearly not enough honey for whatever reason, this is a really great time to provide someone a frame feeder inside the hive, if you want to feed them. I would do it. I think it's, it's worthwhile. It's much better to feed at this time than to add a honey frame to the nest prior to wintering, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, because the bees know how to store it better than you do because they're fucking professionals. It's what they do.
0: Exactly. It always comes back to recognizing that like we're basically like dolts and the bees understand what they need far better than us.
1: Alright, alright. What if I just throw money at it?
0: Uh is it like hash coins? Like can we do like bee pollen hash coins? Is that an option?
1: I mean would they accept it?
0: I don't know. Do you think they have cash registers? Do you think there's there's bee futures and bee pollen hash coins, like a stock market? Except it's like the, I don't know. I, I'm running out of puns. I I'm, don't know if
1: you keep going. I'm sure there's a Pixar movie plot in there somewhere. We can sell it.
0: <laughs> there's some like wicked bulked douchey bee in charge of like the, oh, come on, there's got to be something for stock
1: market. I don't know. I just keep going back to bee movie. It's already been done. Yeah.
0: Like Nasdaq,
1: <laughs> I I don't know, man. Yeah, we'll, I don't know. We'll, we'll table it. We'll put it on the yeah. list. Okay, put it on the list. Someone
0: come back to me and please tell me a better version of Nasdaq that's about bees. You have very special homework for this very bad joke.
1: All right, let's get let's get back to the content. So so in healthy hives without chemicals and so on, how long do these holistic natural bees live?
0: So that's you know kind of complicated. In a recent interview that we did, uh, hives survived in log hives for over eight years. But typically, like a hive in a, a hollow will last like three to five. And that might still seem short, but think about it and, you know, it'll start to make a little bit more sense. Like when we think about a bee hive that swarms every couple of years, it's going to replace itself in that process of three to five years, right? And part of the purpose of them having such a short life is that it allows nature to periodically disinfect those tree hollows where they live. When a colony dies, the old blackened comb that's left behind in the hollow, along with any like pathogens that happen to be like living in that hive with the bees, that can be destroyed by wax moths and all the other creatures that would eat that material. And while like as beekeepers that have gone through traditional training have grown to hate wax moths, it's kind of interesting because like they're a reminder of the natural cycle of beehives, and we try to like totally ignore it.
1: Okay, so kind of like ignoring letting soil rest for production reasons.
0: Yeah, like we're very bad about the concept of rest as a whole, especially when it comes from things that produce for us. Right? None of us would survive a bee's life.
1: Yeah, slackers need not apply. I mean, seriously, I'm tired just thinking about it. I got tired trying to learn the fucking bee dance.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is exhausting. It's kind of like. The the weird thing the floss that the kids are doing these days that's what it's called is yeah, that, that still a
1: thing? Uh that's easy. Yeah,
0: floss. It's not for me. Yeah, I'm real white. That
1: makes sense. The, the kids like are. I'm, the,
0: I'm real white.
1: Kids are onto the gritty now. You got to get a good gritty going. What the fuck is it? like gritty the monster, like from Philadelphia? I don't even know if it's the same. I don't know if it's from him, but there's a new new dance celebration that they do called the gritty. Kids love it. It's dumb as, it's dumb as hell, and they love it.
0: I mean, I love things that are dumb, so I can respect that.
1: Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, you watch enough football. You'll see them doing it in the end zone. Oh,
0: good. Yeah, so this sounds like we're meandering, but the point is that like it's this simple. You have your spring cleaning, add frames throughout the summer, you do that fall prep, check, make sure they're ready to go for the winter, leave them alone during the winter. More interest around things like insulating hives has gained traction, and we've talked a bit about it, particularly in the Langstroth episode. In my opinion, it's kind of, it's complicated at this point. The The evidence is mixed on the solutions that it provides. Uh, what I would say is that the more extreme the climate is, the more you should consider it and what you can do with it. The key thing is to remember that the warmer and more prepared the bees are for the winter, the easier it is for those bees to survive the deep winter freeze that many of us get.
1: Right. And they don't leave the hive all winter, Right. I mean, pretty much, yeah. And the bees are living and need air, and the entrance opening is enough for 20,000 bees or however many there may be?
0: Yeah. I mean, without going into the math of it, yes. However, and this is like a, a fundamental problem for the fact that we're building fake homes for these bees that they're not like naturally evolved for, their homes- and the airflow that goes through them isn't enough for circulating the water that's released by the bees and used by the process of consuming the honey that they eat. Uh, but but obviously, like opening up that airflow will reduce the hive's ability to like heat itself without consuming more honey, and in that process, you know, cycling more moisture into that into that hive. So in climates where it's cool and there's a lot of snow or rainfall, using something that can absorb some of that moisture, like uh, wool maybe, can be uh, really helpful. So what would happen in a natural log hive? Well, like let's let's think about what initially happens in a traditional hive and then we can look in nature. We basically have like two surfaces, right? You've got your warm one, which is like the bee cluster itself, and then the cold one, which is like the interior walls of the hive. And then theoretically, like your house or windows or whatever, moisture gathers on the cold one, right, against the cold side. That is, the hive walls should get wet, but not the surface of the cluster. And so that's
1: not happening in the man-made hives?
0: Not necessarily. If the top is poorly insulated, the condensate will be less likely to gather on the interior walls of the hive, but rather above the cluster because that heat rising, right, with all the moisture. And as it rises, at some point, it's going to collect all that water, cool down, and begin to drip down onto the bees from above. And there's really nothing they can do to fight it. Like any of us, if we're getting wet in the cold, we don't have much time, right? It's going to do some damage. It's going to kill some of these bees. And the water itself will actually cause the wings to start sticking together, leaving them unable to fly out of the hive. And ultimately, their goal would be to die outside of it to keep the rest of the hive healthy. Now, this explains a lot of the die-off at the bottom of the hive, which is practically unheard of in like a natural tree hollow. So
1: you're selling me conjecture?
0: Yeah, kind of. We're still pretty new in understanding the science behind a lot of beekeeping practices, despite the fact we've been doing them for decades.
1: And I thought this is the poor Pearl's almanac. All facts, no conjecture. 69% bad corn puns. So we've sold out. Where's my Raytheon check? It's in the mail if they want i'll take a jetpack instead you know you can call them let them know the cancel the check just cut out the middleman but no seriously this mini series has been a wild ride we've talked about bees for a few hours now
0: oh we've we've covered like 10 hours of bees plus the interviews so so you know more about bees than most beekeepers
1: congratulations yeah making that bee bread
0: yeah now beekeeping has become this huge complex mess of maintenance like i said which isn't designed for the bees health or safety But ultimately for like our convenience and like as globalism put this massive pressure on bees from like introducing varroa and all these other issues, our solution has been to just like use chemicals. And now like from us doing this for so long, there's basically like a check due, right? Where we have to pay, we have to go through this genetic bottlenecking because we have to get through the issues that our bees are not prepared for. And um, as we've started to, I think, if you've been listening for a while to the show, it's a, this is a common thread throughout modern agriculture in general, right? The fact that so many people are tuning in to listen to us talk about this stuff, however, is a good sign. And people know the way we're doing things isn't working, and they want to at least hear other perspectives. Whether or not we have the answers, I don't know, but I think we're at least like shining a light in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I just – I've been doing this podcast – Specifically, I I was interested in you coming up with a way to train bees. Yeah, no bee trains. Like attack bees. Can you weaponize bees? Because that sounds. I mean, it just sounds fun.
0: I would love to weaponize bees. I mean, think about it. Like they're already fast and annoying and painful. Like imagine like putting them on steroids and then like training them like a pack of dogs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just carry a coffee can and weaponize bees with me everywhere I go. I'd never have to weigh them line again. <laughs> this
0: is my bee can. You got Narcan, I got Bee Can. <laughs> You're please, laughing.
1: Please, please tell me this episode's almost over.
0: It's Yes, it's almost over. Um, so our bees jokes are done. This is the end of it. This is this is it for our beekeeping series. Hopefully you guys learned something. I, I had a lot of fun doing the research. And um, I think the takeaway for most people should be that beekeeping isn't inherently bad. The way we're doing it is bad, but the bees are not as bad as pop science would like you to believe for our local ecology, uh, for our native pollinators. That doesn't mean just get them without, you know, understanding that there are repercussions, but that context matters. And there's more you can do good by having healthy bee colonies that are natural and challenging the unhealthy bees that are doing damage to your local ecosystem and offsetting that by working more with native plants. I think that is the way we need to start thinking about beekeeping moving into the future and what our responsibilities are. And instead of there being more beekeepers that are doing things the way they are today, your value as a beekeeper that's helping improve the quality and the health of the the bee community is far more valuable than just not getting involved at all, within reason.
1: Well said. But I'm still not getting bees.
0: Not yet. You have no idea. I'm already... I already got your wife on board. It's all over.
1: You've been talking to my wife behind my back.
0: Yeah, you should check the backyard. Damn it!
1: You know I saw her coming in with a, some frames. I did I had no idea what that was. It's all making sense now.
0: Yeah, it would. What did you think they were
1: for? I I don't know.
0: <laughs> some really weird plates. I'm
1: not a smart man. I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. She was wearing she was wearing the beekeeping suit and everything. I just didn't put it together.
0: It's baby steps. Baby steps. There that's, we go.
1: That's the last one. You know, this miniseries has made me crave baklava and just uh biscuits and honey. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna gorge on that, I think, and the gorge next couple on the bees. of days. Dude, yes. that baklava's so good. <laughs> that fl- that flaky dough. Mm.
0: Yeah, it is good. Now for uh next week, we're going into another new mini series. So we we've been doing a lot of fun novel stuff. We're gonna be talking about agricultural history. And we've got some really fun and wild and lost and forgotten stories that I think people really like. And uh, I'm excited. I know Elliot's excited to uh, jump in and talk some weird history stuff. So uh, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Yeah, it's going to get goofy. We're going to get goofy with it like we always do. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, please come back and listen to more of the the Poor Pro's Almanac. We have so much fun doing this.
0: Oh, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify. And uh, if you want to give us a dollar or two hop on patreon patreon.com slash poor Proles almanac
1: and tell all your friends be annoying about it make sure they listen
0: and since we're being annoying also also jump on our website poor and subscribe to our email list because we use that for things sometimes
1: yeah we'll keep you up to date with all our crazy nonsense we got going on yeah thanks guys see you later till next time